Well, if you have a Bible and want to read with me, we're going to be in Philippians today, chapter 3. But as we start thinking about this, today is New Year's Day. Uh, What better day is there than to be the owner of a health club or a fitness center? Because all this week they will be covered up with new customers. Everybody who's made those resolutions, this is the year I'm going to start going to the gym. I'm going to do all this sort of stuff. Or we've made a resolution to eat better, or all these things. This is the time of year when we're into that mindset of making some changes, doing things differently. Because from what I understand, they tell me that the the definition of lunacy, I guess, is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Okay, and that's kind of the way we are sometimes. But when we think about a new year, it's an idea of a new beginning. Okay, we we have this opportunity here today. And just when we kind of get focused on that, if you would look just down to start with in chapter three of Philippians uh, in verse 13. Uh, probably the second half of the verse there, it says, forgetting those things which are behind. And that's one of the reasons why I kind of picked this passage. Sometimes we just need to forget some of those things that are in the past. I mean, think about what we've been through in the last couple of years and this last year. COVID, uh, all that sort of stuff. Now then they tell me we're in a tridemic or a Something with three things, you know, with all the the health issues that are going on. We've had tornadoes, hurricanes, wildfires. Uh, We had a snow cyclone, I think they just call it. I think they just make up stuff. You know, I can't even imagine all these things. All this bad stuff that's been happening to us. Then we've got just the hurts. We've all had people hurt our feelings last year or hurt our pride or do these other sorts of things. And we need to forget it and move on. Then there's sin. We've all sinned in this past year. We also need to confess that, get it right, then forget it and move on. And then disappointments, right? You know, we've had disappointments. Well, I thought this was going to work out. It didn't work out, but this or that. You know, we need to put those things in the past and move forward. And then my favorite that is the most for me, making stupid decisions. (laughs) You know, I've done some and I just need to put it behind me and go on, make better decisions. But there's also some of the good things that we've left behind or we need to leave behind. Blessings and achievements and those. Now, I'm not saying we forget them, but we need to leave them behind. For example, This last year, Grace Community Church has had more new members come in than any time since our founding. That's a blessing. Adventure Club has had record attendance on Wednesday night with the kids. That's awesome. We've had a Bible conferences here with some of the best known speakers in our country. You know, that's a blessing to us. We've got new jail ministries going. We've got new celebrate... Uh, recovery ministries going we got lots of things going on but we also need to put those behind us and keep finding more and more new things 
We need to put the bad behind us as well as the good behind us and keep going forward. And as we see the end of that verse, it says reaching forward to those things which are ahead. And we'll get to that verse a little bit more later. But if we can now, if you would take your Bibles and back up to verse 11. Chapter 3, verse 11 is where I'd kind of like to start. And I know it's in the middle of a sentence, but I think it kind of works. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us as many as are mature have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able, to, able even to subdue all things to himself. Therefore, my beloved and my longed-for brethren, my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Now, when we start looking at verse 11, uh, when Paul wrote there, he says, if by any means I may attain resurrection from the dead, he wasn't implying any kind of uncertainty or doubt. He knew that he was going to die. He just wasn't sure how he was going to meet God. Was it going to be by execution, by natural death? But he did know, however, that he was going to be raised. And that attainment of that being raised, though, was within God's power and not his power. Just as Christ was exalted after his resurrection, so we too will one day share Christ's glory. Uh, it says it over in Revelation chapter 22. And Paul knew that. He knew about the resurrection of his body, and he knew that he might die soon, but he had the faith that he would be raised to life again through what we see here. Then in verse 12, he says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected. Uh, you know, in this whole little section here, verses 12 through 14, Paul says that his goal is to know Christ, to be like Christ, and to be all Christ has in mind for him. And that goal, it's what absorbs all of Paul's energy. It's what he's always trying to do, which would be a healthy example to us to mimic that same thing. We shouldn't let anything take our eyes off of our goal, knowing Christ. With the single-mindedness kind of an athlete that's in training, uh, we need to lay aside 
everything harmful and forsake anything that may distract us from being effective Christians. What's holding us back? Why are we not doing those things? Because it's kind of like some of these athletes. Some of you all remember Seth Hughes when he was a swimmer at Carson Newman. And all the stuff that he had to do to keep his body in shape for swimming. Uh, I didn't realize that swimmers are some of the best athletes that there actually are. You know, uh, I think I have a bigger percentage of body fat in my pinky than he had in his whole body. He had to sacrifice those things. He's swimming miles in the mornings, miles in the evenings. He's sacrificing and putting all that there as we see this kind of idea as he's striving towards the goal. And all this was for a 50-meter race. That's basically to swim from the back wall to the front of the church. But he puts all that in. It's the focus. And that's what we need to do. That's what holds us back. Sometimes we don't have that single-mindedness. And Paul, he needed to kind of get to that point also. Because he needed, when we get into verse 13, he says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Paul had a lot to get rid of, things that were behind. Over in Acts chapter 7, verses 57 and 58, that's where he took part at the stoning of Stephen, right? He was holding the coats for those that were doing that. You know, that's one of the things I think he was a little ashamed about. He had to put that behind him to go forward. And we're all like that. We've all done things for which we're ashamed, but we need to continue to go forward. We live in this tension of what could have been or what could be versus what we want to be. But we always need to keep going forward. Because our hope is in Christ, we can let go of this past guilt and shame and look forward to what God will help us to become. Don't dwell on your past and things that could have been. Instead, grow in the knowledge of God by concentrating on your relationship with him now. Realize that you are forgiven and then move on to a life of faith and obedience. Look forward to a fuller and more meaningful life because of our hope in Christ. Now in verse 13 where he says, not that I have already attained, this is kind of a statement of a great Christian who never permitted himself to be satisfied with his spiritual accomplishments. He never thought he had made it if you will. You always need to be continually challenged to get better. Athletes are always trying to improve on their performance. They have to be careful to try and be the best they can be and not just compare themselves to others and say, well, I'm better than they are. Because too many times we as Christians try to do that very thing. Well, I may not be there yet, but at least I'm better than so-and-so and so-and-so. So I'm doing pretty good. No, we need to be striving, okay? We, we compare ourselves to those around us and feel like we're doing pretty good. But what Paul did, and he wanted to be careful not to compare himself with the other Christians around him, but to compare himself to Christ. That was what he was using back as his reference point, you know? He was always going back to Christ. How am I with Christ? And the other thing that an athlete does as we're kind of looking at this 
uh, trend, if you will, or have this saying, is he devotes himself to his sport. You don't know too many athletes that do multiple sports, you know. Uh, now, when we're younger, I think that kids ought to try to play baseball and football and basketball and all those kind of things for the fun of it. But as you start to get more and more elite in your field, you need to be specialists. It's kind of like if we had to go have surgery on our brain. Would you want a general practitioner or would you want a brain surgeon? I kind of think I'd rather have the one that's specialized and focused in on that. We need to also prioritize things in our lives. Paul says you need to forget those behinds and reach forward to those things which are ahead and press toward the goal. You need to always be going forward to the goal. We can remember what's happened in the past, but we need to press forward. Go toward the goal. It doesn't mean you don't remember it, but you need to continue to strive towards that goal that's in front of you. Don't worry about the past. When I went to work in the construction industry, I went to work for Mr. Tim Page, the company called Page & Associates, which is still where I work today. And when I went to work with Mr. Page, he had a lot of sayings. I've shared some of those with you all in the past. Uh, but one that really stuck out to me was he says, Pat, when you're on a job, make a decision. We need something. We need to keep going. Don't just say, well, I don't know, and then we wait, and we have to call engineers and architects and all this sort of stuff to find out an answer. He says, make a decision. He says, we can always fix a mistake, but we can't do anything about I wished I had a. Now, I know that's not probably correct grammar, but that's the way we are. We can't do anything about I wished I had a. We can fix a mistake if we've done a mistake, but we need to be going forward. We need to always be going on. And that's what Paul's trying to get us there. You know, Paul's saying he hasn't apprehended it or he hadn't got all the way there yet. He doesn't possess it all, but he is forgetting what's in the past and he's going forward. Now, down in verse 14, it says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, the word uh, I press or what that we see in verse 12 and in verse 14 it carries the idea of a very intense endeavor. I mean, you're really into it. It's the same word that the Greeks used to describe a hunter eagerly pursuing his prey. You know, when you're hot on the trail, you're really into it. It implies doing something with great zeal and enthusiasm. When we are trying to strive toward the goal of Christ-likeness, we need to be like that. That same thing. We need to be all in, if you will. We need to be committed. We need to give it everything. We need to keep on keeping on, as the phrase says. You need to keep running the race again so that you reach the prize. Now, the prize, though, is at the end of the race. Too many times people think that the prize is before you get to the end of the race. Uh, you could talk to Ohio State. They thought they had the prize at halftime last night, but they didn't, okay? They didn't win the game, okay? And we're the same way. You have to keep on going. Yeah, you might be doing good at halftime, but you need to finish 
the race. You need to go all the way to the end, you know, to get to that point. That's where we see the prize. That's when we see our Savior and he says, well done at the end. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We all need to finish. Too many times we're all really good starters, but we're not good finishers. And I'm probably king of them right here. You know, we get those projects started. That ties back into this New Year's. We're all having those things. We start good, right? How do we finish? Okay, that's what we need to remember. Starting is important, but finishing is equally important. I used to tell my customers on the construction job, there's really only two parts to any job, starting and finishing. <laughs> I've either started or I'm finishing. You know, it's one or the other. And when we do that, we need to go to the end. We need to get to the end. That's what we need to strive to do. Then when we drop down to verses 15 and 16, uh, sometimes we try to live a, a perfect Christian life. It leaves us drained, difficult. It's difficult. It leaves us discouraged. We think, I just can't do it. Sometimes we, we feel so far from perfect that we can never please God with anything in our life. Okay? But what he talks about there in verse 15 is he says, Those who therefore let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. When he's talking about those who are mature, we need to press on in the Holy Spirit's power. Knowing that, God, knowing that Christ will reveal and fill in any discrepancy between what we are and what we need to be. Christ's provision is no excuse for lagging devotion, but it provides relief and assurance for those who feel driven to seek after him. Okay, And it talks about Christian maturity. Now that has nothing to do with how old you are. Because I'm looking out at a bunch of people who are very mature in, in one sense of the word. But when we look at Christian maturity, here it's talking about we need to act on the guidance that we have received. That's what he says. If in anything as mature, God will reveal even this to you, nevertheless to the degree that we have already attained. Let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. He wants us to get to the point where he has showed us what we need to do. All of us are further along in our walk with Christ than somebody else. But at some point, Christ is going to show us what we need to be doing. And we might be further along than this person. We might not be as far along as this person. But we need to go to the level of what he has showed us. We need to live up to what we already know and live out what he has already taught us we don't need to be sidetracked by like these unending searches for truth and getting more and more knowledge you know we need to get to the point where God has showed us and illumined us what we need to do at this point I've heard a lot of people over the years when they talk about well I would like to witness to people but I don't know how I don't know enough scripture I'm, you know, my memory is a problem. But what does being a witness actually mean? 
Uh, some of you, well, a lot of y'all are of the age to remember Perry Mason, okay? Or some of these other legal shows where they have a person come up to get in. They, they actually have a special seat, and they call it the witness stand. You know who sits in the witness stand? The witness. It's real hard, okay? The witness. So they get this person, they, they swear them in, the witness goes to sit in this seat, and then the attorneys, the prosecution and uh, the defense attorneys, they ask the witness questions, correct? Y'all can just nod. Okay, so you, we understand it. So when they ask a question, they say, well, Mr. Witness, what did you see? And if the witness says, well, I thought I saw this, and then the attorney will say, no, we don't want you thinking. We want to know what you actually experienced, what you saw, what you heard, what you felt, what you touched, what, you know, what is your firsthand knowledge? That's the same way we witness to Christ or for Christ. We just need to tell people what we know about Christ. What has Christ changed in me? What has Christ done this way? We may not memorize all the scripture, but you should be able to be a witness about has there been a change? This is how I used to be. This is how I am now about sin. That's how we can witness to those people around us. We don't need to be too torn up that I'm not qualified. Every believer is qualified to be a witness because all you need to do is tell what's happened to you. And you should have been there when it happened to you. Okay, so we have that. But Paul also talks about, uh, you know, doing this thing. And he says we also, how we need to go about it, he talks about walking by the same rule. Paul wanted us to remember some of the spiritual rules that we have to walk by that are laid down in Scripture. Uh, just as an athlete or uh, somebody in sports is penalized or disqualified for breaking the rules, Paul understands we need to not break the rules. And if you want to, you can turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. Some of y'all are going to be surprised at this verse. It says, and also if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. That's from a football official, guys. You know, we want people playing by the rules. That's what he's talking about here. Paul is saying the exact same thing, you know, by the same rule. We all need to be doing the same thing. It's not what the athlete thinks is right or what the fans and the spectators in the stands think is right but what the judges or the officials say. One day, each Christian will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And when we stand before that seat, the judgment seat, the Greek word for judgment seat is bima, which is also the very same word used in the Olympic Games where the judges handed out the prizes. It's the same idea, the judgment seat, where it is passed. So Paul is trying to get us on this same mind that we are all going together. We're striving, pressing toward the goal, but we're all doing it together, and we're doing it correctly according to the rules that we have. Then down in verse 17, Paul challenged the Philippians to pursue Christ-likeness by following his example. Verse 17, brethren, 
Join in following my example. Can we say that? Can I say that? No. But we need to strive to get to that point. But what Paul, he wasn't trying to tell them they needed to copy everything that he did. I mean, he'd, he'd after all, back in verse 12, he just stated that he wasn't perfect. But as he focused on his life on being like Christ, that's what they needed to be. They needed to do the same thing. As he was trying to be more and more like Christ, they needed to focus on him to where they could see themselves being more and more like Christ. Now at this point, the Gospels probably weren't in circulation, so Paul couldn't tell them to, well, go read what the Word says. They didn't have that. He urged them to imitate him. And what a challenge just that would be to have people imitate us. That's a daunting task to think about, or for me it is. Okay, But Paul could tell him, I mean, that's a testimony to his character. Can you do it? Can I do it? What kind of follower would a Christian be if they imitated me? A new Christian, a new believer. Those are things we need to get right and try to be more and more like Christ. And down in verse 18, Paul, he's, here he's, he's criticizing how people started to do things. Uh, some of y'all have been with me uh, on Wednesday nights where we've been going through uh, Colossians as we've been kind of talking about the Judaizers, different things. Paul was criticizing them. But here he was also criticizing some self-indulgent Christians. People who claim to be Christians but don't live up to Christ's model of servanthood and self-sacrifice. Uh, these people satisfy their own desires before even thinking about the needs of others. Uh, freedom in Christ does not mean freedom to be selfish. It's just the opposite. Freedom in Christ means wants us to take every opportunity that we have to serve and to become the best person you can be. Uh, in verse 18, for many walk of whom I have told you often and tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul here is weeping. He's so upset that these people are doing these things that it has driven him to tears. When was the last time we weeped for those that are doing the wrong thing? You know, that we have that kind of attitude, that type of mindset. Because he says that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Not just that they're not there, but that they're enemies. Those are people that are totally against it. And then he says in verse 19, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. So many times that's the way everybody is today. It's all about now. It's all about me. Uh, Nike, just do it, you know. Uh, all these type things that we see nowadays, all these ideas, uh, we have to be so careful we don't fall into that trap. We need to walk as Christ. Colossians chapter 2 verse 6 says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. He tells us how to walk. He shows us that idea about walking. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Uh, 
One of my favorite scripture verses is Psalm 119, 105. Some of y'all know that verse, uh, and it talks about light. Thy word is a light unto my path and a lamp unto my feet. But both of those, when we think about where that light is, it's not up here where I can see the big picture and see everything, but it's showing me right the path and my feet. It's showing me where to put that next step. So many times we all want to see down the road. What does the future have way down the road? But God wants us to see as we walk, we need to see right where to put that next step right in front of us. That's how he wants us to, to depend on him and how he shows us how that we continue down that path. We need to keep going forward. We need to be striving towards the goal, but it's that one step at a time that we need to do. Uh, we can't always see the big picture idea. First Colossians, uh, first Colossians. <laughs> how about first Corinthians? First Corinthians 10, 31 says, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Therefore, he's talking about these people, you know, their God is their belly. It's all about them. That's all they were thinking about in those verses there. Now, in verse 20, he talks about citizenship. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we start thinking about citizenship, some of you all may have a passport that when you go to another country, that's how you're allowed to get back into this country is you have a document that shows you're a citizen. You belong here. Okay. The citizens of Philippi that we're talking about here, they had the same rights and privileges as the citizens of Rome because Philippi was a Roman colony at this time. So likewise, we Christians, we will experience all the special privileges of our heavenly citizenship because we belong to Christ. You know, as we realize that, don't be so tied to this life that we'd be sorry to see Christ return. But the citizenship, it confirms our right to be there. That's what we can say, hey, I'm here because I'm a citizen. Uh, a few weeks ago, I got to go to uh, officiate the, one of the state final football games in Chattanooga. And as a result, uh, Angie was going to come down to watch the game. And I was able to secure her a pass to get into the game for free. Woohoo! So, uh, but what she had to do was she had to proceed to a specific gate at a specific time where the people asked her, What's your name? She told them, and they said, Angie Lett, you can enter in. I think they made her put a bracelet on or something. But, but she got into the game because her name was written down on the list, and her name got on the list through the intercession of somebody else. And we're the same way when we think about Christ. When our entrance into heaven, we get in because our name is on the list. And our name got on the list because of the intercession of somebody else. That's what Christ did for us. We will enter into glory on his merits and his intercession alone, not on ours. But it's, that's this idea of the citizenship that we see there. Then in verse 21, he says, Who will transform our lowly body 
that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Now, the word there is conformed, okay? Now, we don't hear that word a lot. We understand deformed, where something is just, it doesn't look right. We understand reformed, which is you start over. But conform means you take what is there and adjust it, manipulate it to where it is the way that it needs to be. That's this idea here. When we transform our body that it may be moved, it's not implying some sort of negative attitude about the human body that, you know, there's something wrong about our body. But it's nothing like the body that we will receive when we meet Christ. The bodies we receive when we're raised for the dead will be glorious. We will be conformed to his glorious body. We're, our body will be like his body. We can't even imagine what that will be like. I mean, some of you guys out here today, you struggle with pain, physical limitations, disabilities, lots of things. But all those things, we can have a wonderful hope in the resurrection. Uh, if you want to look at that of our glorified body, you can look over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. It talks about our glorious body. But what it will it be like? But when Jesus returns, it says he will subdue all things to, unto himself. The word subdue, there's another one to look at. That word means to arrange in ranks, you know, to prioritize, if you will. And kind of, isn't that something we need to work on today? Our priorities? Do we have our priorities straight? If I ask somebody to do something, generally it's going to cost one of two things or two things. It's either going to cost you money or time. That's generally what happens. And we all say, well, I don't have any money and I don't have any time because we're busy and we're broke. We don't have those things. But yet for the right thing to come along, can we find time? We generally can. Can we find the money to do that? We generally can. So it's all about prioritizing or getting to where we can subdue. Put the things in the proper order. That's what we're trying to see here through Christ, you know, because he will subdue all things. You know, our values kind of get all twisted around about what's important. But when he comes back, it says he will subdue all things. He'll get everything in the right order to himself. And then our final verse this morning, chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Now, when he says stand fast, he's not saying stand quickly, jump up. That's not the word fast that we're talking about. And we're not talking about not eating the word fast. What we're talking about is stand strong, stand firm, to be well anchored. Why do you need to be well anchored? Because there's going to be storms and stuff that happens that you don't even have any inkling about. Stuff is going to happen. Uh, just this morning, uh, yesterday I kind of worked on 
what I was going to say today, had some stuff in the computer, got up this morning, went up to the office. I said, I'm going to just look back through it, print it off, be ready to go. Got up to the office, 830 this morning, the power went out. I'm like, guess I should have printed this, <laughs> you know, or done something. You know, stuff's going to happen. I think uh, my wife checked, Volunteer Energy has 14 people out of power. Four of them are me. My shop, my house, my mother-in-law, and the gate. Okay? But things are going to happen. There's going to be storm. You've got to stand fast. There's going to be stuff that you never could have imagined happen, happen. But we stand fast in the Lord. All these storms that this life's going to throw, and the enemy is going to throw at us. You know, he does not want us to succeed. When we look back in verses 20 and 21, that's what Paul is trying to tell us. That to stand, the way to stand fast is to keep your eyes on Christ. To remember that this world is not our home. And to focus on the fact that as we look down the road, one day Christ will bring everything under his control. That's why we need to keep going forward. But until that point, we need to stand fast. Perfect example of that is the Cheyenne dog soldier. Some of y'all might have heard about those. I think there's still some military units today that reference back to these. The Cheyenne dog soldiers were the elite warriors. They had different tattoos. They had different paint, different headdresses and stuff. But they were the elite warriors of the Cheyenne nation. And once they went into a battle... They would, quote, pin themselves to a, a specific piece of ground. Uh, on the back of their uh, warrior regalia, I don't think we call it a uniform, on the back of that, uh, he would have a rear breech cloth or apron that hung down on the back made out of leather. And it would reach all the way to the ground. When he went into battle, he took three sacred arrows with him. That was just the way they did it. And when he got to the right place, he would take one of those arrows, job it through that piece of leather that was tied to him to where he couldn't move from that place until either he was victorious or he was dead. But he would stand fast. They made sure that they would stand fast. He would stand his ground to the end. Do we stand our ground? To the end. That's what we need to be. We need to stand our ground to the end. We need to be reaching forward that way. As we stand here, reach forward as we saw in verse 13. Uh, we need to stand for God. Stand for the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain of the Lord. Again, the same idea about standing fast. We need to be ready. We need to be looking forward, but ready to stand our ground. We don't need to waver to the left, to the right, to, to hung up in stuff that comes this way and that way. Look forward to the goal. Stay focused. That's what we need to do. Don't get distracted don't get discouraged and don't quit. Strive towards the goal and stand firm for God.
Let's pray this morning. Dear Father, once again, Lord, we do just thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for what it means, how we can take it and apply it to our lives. Father, I just pray, God, that you would help us as we start the new year, 2023, God. You would help us to just stand firm on your word, in your word, and to help us to just be more and more like Christ. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Grace, if you please stand and we'll close our time together with our last hymn.